0: In a successful career, you are your biggest competitor, not anybody else. You are really competing against yourself most of the time. And Mm. and I can't sincerely tell you that um, in my career, I never had the feeling I was competing against someone else. Now, a lot of times Mm. I felt I was competing against myself and that I had to be better. You know, if there was an opportunity and I didn't get it, you know, I've, I've applauded the person who got it. And I thank this person for making me better, for showing me that I have to keep performing, that I have to keep developing. So it's really, it's really a race against yourself. This episode is brought to
1: you by the good people over at American Public University System, also known as APUS. They deliver accessible and affordable online higher education to adult learners of all backgrounds. With over 123,000 alumni making a difference in their communities, APUS offers more than 200 online degree and certificate programs through American Public University and American Military University that happens to be the number one provider of higher education to U.S. military and veterans. APUS is fully committed to those who trust them with their education. And for more information, head on over to www Welcome back, Lead the Team Nation. I've got a fun one in store for you today with Nuno Fernandez, who is the fifth president at American Public University System, which delivers high-quality, affordable, and workforce-relevant higher education to adult learners of all backgrounds through two different institutions, including American Public University and American Military University. And in case you're not familiar with them, they rank in the top 10% for return on educational investment compared to 4,500 colleges and universities nationwide, according to the the Georgetown University Center on Education's Workforce Report. Now, back to Nuno. He has a range of leadership and business experience in higher ed and beyond, including as president and CEO of Latin America's largest online program manager and one of the top three globally number of managed students called Illumino. He's motivated by delivering high quality programs and services that will positively impact the lives of students and their communities. Nuno, welcome to the show, sir.
0: Thank you very much, man. It's a pleasure being here today and thank you so much for the invitation. Oh man,
1: it's going to be a good one today. So let's dive into this. How many countries exactly have you lived in and how's that impacted and informed your leadership experience?
0: Yeah, I've been. Uh, fortunate, I have worked and lived in nine different countries. Mm. Um, I was born in Portugal. So in Europe, I have worked and lived in Portugal, Spain, uh, England, and Germany. I then spent a lot of time in Latin America. I have worked and lived in Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, and Panama. And then uh, I've been in the U.S. now for 14 years. Wow. Uh, you know, it's funny because since uh, a very early age... I was always very intrigued about traveling. About I had this desire to know the world, to learn about other cultures. And maybe not consciously, uh, but somehow my career path has always been international. In fact, this is my first job where I'm fully focused on a single country, which I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, spending time abroad is something that mm. I recommend to everyone. Um, something I will encourage my son to do when the time is right. Mm. Uh, in my case, you know, it made me learn and observe that that there are multiple approaches to the to the same questions Mm. and that you should be flexible should be open to realize that sometimes reactions to similar challenges might be different depending on where you are right and i think i think food is a great example right because if you go to india you know you can't eat cow if you go to morocco you can't eat bacon Mm. if you go to israel Mm -hmm. you can't eat pork ribs but if you go to Mexico, they eat grasshoppers. And if you go to Australia, they eat crocodile. So, you know, who's to say who's right and who's wrong? And, you know, mm. I believe all of them are right because as it happens in many cases, the truth is in the eye of the beholder. So mm. so similar to the type of food um, and the things that we eat, uh, we are somehow predetermined by the culture we live in to have certain opinions, certain behaviors. And when we travel, we kind of start opening our minds to other realities and ways of thinking, so personally, I believe my international experience has helped me in many ways. I always try to put myself in someone else's shoes. I always try to understand their true motivations, and uh, it also helped me to understand that you know sometimes when you're dealing with complex problems, it's okay to find common ground and to reach solutions where everyone wins
1: yeah what a what a cool perspective, and I'm glad you brought it all home. It's one thing to say hey, leading from different perspectives is important. And seeing in all these countries uh, really drove it home, but nothing drives it home like thinking about food. And you're absolutely right. I mean, some things in some countries are completely forbidden, and they're considered a delicacy in uh, other parts of the world. And I think a lot of Americans, you know, when you go to Mexico and you see the uh, grasshoppers and crickets – you know, on the menu there, it's a little bit of a shock for a lot of people. But then you quickly realize, pretty delicious.
0: At least, yeah, from- you know what? I've lived in Mexico City for four years. I I love Mexico. um mm-hmm. It's a very special place. um I had a lot of personal success during my four years there, so I mm-hmm. have memories. But it was the country where I felt most challenged uh when it comes mm-hmm. to food, right? Because they do have certain food. Habits that are very Mexican and that you don't really see anywhere else, right? And and that's that's a great example where I've learned, you know, it's okay. They they were born, you know, the, when they were born they were doing this. They were eating this food, yeah, just very spicy in there. a lot of ways. Yeah. So the same way that I was eating meat, and and then if I would go to India, everyone would think that that that's crazy, right? So
1: yeah, but it's period. always
0: it's always interesting to learn about different cultures and and how they impact um, behaviors. So you,
1: you have the interesting perspective of having lived so many places, but you're probably leading a lot of teams out there with people that have not traveled as much and have not experienced other cultures. Uh, when you're coming in and you're trying to impart some of this leading from a different perspective or, and it almost sounds, uh, like, you know, like teaching empathy in some ways through this. What's your first step or what's some or maybe what's a first step that you would advise a leader who would like to impart this to uh, to their employees to do?
0: you know I think the first step is to assess talent and to understand the motivations mm. of each one of the leaders, where they are at the moment, where they would like to be and and understand how you can uh, maximize the 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 your your colleagues uh so that they feel great about what we want to do um Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. i think that everyone is great at something you know and and i don't say this in a romantic way i don't think everyone is capable of sending you know a rocket to space or being a world-class surgeon I'm, i'm saying i believe everyone has a talent um and most of the times people don't find it just because they were not given the opportunity or just because they are comfortable with the start of school. So I think the, the greatest leadership, uh, um, the greatest benefit in leadership um, is to, to be able to help people find their, their talents and to develop it and, and cool. to make people better. And by doing that, your team is going to be better and consequently your business is going to be better. So, so um, you know, I'd love for every employee to feel that they are part of of an organization that allows them to be better, to learn, to develop themselves, to create that sense of overperforming, where each person is proud about what they do and how they do it. So, so I think that 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 kind of um, kind of challenging yourself all the time is extremely important as part of of the culture so that we are all collectively trying to be better.
1: Yeah, I like that. And you, you kind of went the extra step of saying, hey, is, leaders need need a part of responsibility as a leader is to help others see the possibility and the strengths and the people on your team. They may not have the same degree of self-awareness as you do as a leader, and they may not understand what their strengths are. So identifying that, helping them foster that and bring that to the table Sounds like a winning combination. Now, what was your first job and how does it influence your leadership today?
0: Yeah, my first job uh, was at Bosch. Bosch is one of the biggest uh, German companies. And in Europe in general, they have roughly $79 billion of revenue, 400,000 employees around the world. And um, it's a giant company. So I had just graduated when I got my first job. I received my bachelor's in economics and I had an interest in business modeling. But back then it was not as hot as it is today. So I ended up um in a in an accelerate career path program with Bosch mm. called Potentials with mm. uh, a job in marketing and product management. Um and you know it was interesting because back then I knew nothing about marketing, and I think I knew even less about product management. But but I interviewed with the, the senior vice president of the area and, and, and he clearly saw something in me that I was not seeing, right? Mm. And now, you know, looking back at, at what happened, I, I understand how important your first job is and how much it can determine mm. the rest of your career. I think the first job is, is, is extremely important on so many levels, not only where you, where you work, but also to whom do you report to. And I think your supervisor, your first supervisor can make all the difference for the rest of your career. And not necessarily that you have to report to the CEO or to an SVP, but really how important it is to report to someone that will make you better, that can give you guidance, that can that can, can, can help you find things that you're not seeing before. So um, they might give you new opportunities. They might expose you to other roles. They might give you nice projects. So this really the first boss kind of shapes the rest of your career right and and for me you know for those younger ones that are starting their careers and listening to this podcast i i recommend mm. being very selective about your first job and investigate as much as you can about the person you're going to report to before accepting the offer you know your first job will most likely influence the rest of your career so mm. most people when they finish college they will say you know whatever it is i'm taking it that's what i did <laughs> And and, but retrospectively looking, I was extremely lucky uh, because that's a very powerful moment. Um, so the next thing I learned, I guess, was um, what I just told you know that everyone is great at something, and you need to find out what that is. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky, yeah. your superiors and your jobs will help you find out what that is pretty early in your career. Um, I think. That once you find that gift, once you find that thing that, that you're really good at doing, and again, I believe everyone has that, just stay there. You know, stay there, develop it as much as you can. And if you do these, your chances of being successful, I think, mm. dramatically.
1: Yeah, a couple of things. I love that. It's a call to action. First of all, I love the idea about, I haven't thought about it this way, but how your first supervisor can be the most important in your entire career. And sometimes you're learning what not to do, uh, but I can tell you from my experience uh, starting out as an industrial engineer, and it was a very challenging work environment. My boss challenged me an awful lot, and the whole time I was pretty miserable about it, complaining an awful lot at happy hour. But looking back, that was some of the deepest. Those are some of the deepest lessons I learned in my career, and I still yeah. refer back to them today.
0: And I'll tell you something, Ben. I think. Learning what not to do is extremely valuable. Sometimes I will, I will go even further. Sometimes I think it's even more valuable than learning what to do, mm. because because learning what not to do is going to prevent you to repeat the problem that you've seen before.
1: Stop repeating it. And and I also recognize that it's not the right thing, of course. Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> You're you, person, know, I, you repeat I, it. I always say that if people are not making mistakes, they're not doing—they're not doing anything. Because if you are pushing people to be creative, to be—if you're—if you're empowering people, if you're giving them the ability to to create mm-hmm. and and to and to generate something, most likely mistakes will occur, and that's fine. Yeah, creation gets messy. That's fine. Yeah. If you if you have ten projects, most likely six are going to be fine, one is okay, and three were terrible, and that's fine. Because what is not fine is that you, you do the same mistake again, yeah. right? So yeah. you have to learn from that, evolve, understand what the problem was or what the problems were, and just make sure that, that you get better and that you don't repeat that mistake again. So I honestly believe that if, if, if departments and leaders are not making a certain degree of mistakes, it's because they're not really doing much. Because well, it's the worst leader yeah. know. Yeah. If you are pushing the envelope level, if you're performing at the high level, you're gonna make mistakes. And that's fine. Mm. Just don't make the same mistake twice.
1: Yeah, when you're flying high, sometimes you uh have a few issues. You know, you're pushing the envelope, you're creating, and it's great to have a boss or be the boss creating that safe space for that to happen. Um, but it's uh also important not to bet the house. No when you're when you're striving. So- so you could keep playing the game. What's the what's the worst leadership advice that you've heard, Dino?
0: Oh, I hear it all the time. Uh, it's the advice to follow your passion. Okay. Uh, right. Tell Everyone more. does it. Their speakers, books, they do conferences about it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But, but to follow your passion really assumes that we only have one passion in life, and that is not true, mm. right? Your passions change, you know. It might be video games, cars, watches, sports, art, books, traveling, whatever it might be. But there are different passions at different moments in time, most likely. Also, the follow your passion advice kind of also gives the impression that there are this like this dream job just waiting for you around the corner. That's just not true. And finally, you know, if you have a passion for something, it doesn't mean that you're good <laughs> for, for, you know. Yeah. So, So I think the follow your passion advice can create more frustration than what is needed. I believe that what's important is to find out what you're really good at doing and develop it to your maximum capacity. You know, Mm. the most successful people I've met, if we measure success by positions of power and or economic compensation, right? If we measure success by that, they might be passionate today about what they do, but certainly they were not passionate about it ten or twenty years ago. And I'll tell you know, I'll tell you a story. A few years ago I was in New York uh, working on a very large deal, and there was one of these very large law firms at the table. and there was a senior partner, a lady, um, and she was a senior partner and a tax expert. and this person was charging probably about three thousand dollars an hour, right and And we have to ask ourselves, did this person did, did, did she have did she have a passion for for taxes when she was growing up? Was she really excited about reading the tax codes of different jurisdictions? Mm -hmm. I believe not. But I assume that along the way, as she was studying law, she developed an interest and then she became really good at it. So she understood that she was good at that and went to become one of the best in the world, I believe, uh, in her field. So I think it's the same with sports. You know, sports are so good. For, uh, for so many comparisons. You know, I think if you are good at something, just stay there and develop it to a maximum potential. You know, think about Michael Jordan was probably the best basketball player of all time, right? It's debatable, but let's say he was certainly in the top three, right? And But he had a passion for baseball. So he tried and he failed. Mm-hmm. Then you had... Usain Bolt, one of the best runners of all time. He had a passion for soccer. He tried and he failed. So the proper advice is to focus on what you like, focus on what you're really good at, stay there, prepare yourself, and strive to be the best uh, all the time. So eventually, you'll develop a passion for what you are doing. But you can have many passions along along your career. For example, you know, today I can sincerely tell you that I have a passion for education. I I have a passion for. Expanding access to education for bringing education to people that were left out of the system, I I have a passion for seeing our graduates mm. succeeding I have a passion for for seeing our uh, our school expanding. I have a passion for that today. But if you had that, you know, if you have asked me ten years ago, I would not say that I had a passion for education because I was not exposed to it. Mm. So so it it was just when I mm. started working with education that I realized how powerful it was, and then I understood. Also, how much education had shaped my own life, right? Uh, I'll tell you another story on this. You know, my grandparents, I'm from Portugal. I told you, my grandparents, they lived in a very small village in Portugal with 200 people. Wow. Huh. They were, you know, they were farmers. They raised their fruits, their vegetables, they, they had their animals. They did not know how to read or write, right? So, my parents were the first generation of my family to attend the university. My father became a lawyer. My mother became a university teacher. And because my parents had access to education, think about this, man, how powerful that is. Because my parents had access to education, they've transformed themselves. They left their small village. They moved to a big city. And consequently, they transformed my life even before I was born. Hmm. Even before I was born. Because had they stayed in the small village without, without going to the university, I would probably still be living there today and not talking to you. Mm. Right, so it's very, Mm. very powerful. the 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 power of education is very powerful. But to go back to your point, if you had asked me ten years ago, I would not say that I was passionate about education. I did not. No, I was not exposed to it. So I think the follow your passion advice is is Mm. weak in many ways. I think the 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 proper advice is find what you're really good at doing, and develop it, and try to be the best. The best. uh, uh, you know, in your field.
1: Yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. It seems like it really follow your passion. It seems like you know what it is. That's the goal, and you're heading towards it. And the way you describe it and getting good at something. And you said the word interest a couple times, like following your interest, which right. means like, or, or maybe the word would be like exploring your interest. And by exploring your interest. And doing and discovering what you're good at, you kind of discover the path forward for yourself. And man, an education, educational world's a great place to do that. I mean, where else you can learn about different
0: paths. Education is a fascinating industry. and, And really, you know, every, every university talks about it. And, you know, they talk about the transformative power of education. They talk about pursuing the dream of education, but but if you if you don't talk about it on a on a shallow level, if you really go deep inside it, it's really true. I mean, it's really mm. true. I'm you know I'm the living proof of that. It's 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 my my grandparents. They did mm. not know how to read or write. They were on the other side of the ocean. Yeah. Right. So 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 imagine that my parents left that small village of 200 people, and they had to do several jobs to pay for their tuition. You know, and, and all these things. Then they got married and I was born. But when I was born, my reality was already different because they were already living in a different city, in a mm-hmm. different place. And, and then they could they could give me access to education as well. And then here I am today, right? So it's, it's really powerful. It's really, it really is. powerful. It's
1: one generation. One generation. Education accelerated that whole piece. Yeah, economically, and geographically, you know, you're sort of how you view the world. Everything in one generation.
0: Yeah. It really, it really. I mean, I think education is probably the industry with the biggest social impact. I mean, healthcare is certainly very important too. But in terms of mm. transforming someone into something better, you know, yeah. I think it's probably the most impactful industry um, of all. Of all. Yeah, Uh, I
1: love thinking about education as a catalyst for change. Yeah. And it's, you know, you all are providing that, uh, providing that, that opportunity. And by focusing on access, uh, which I've learned about through, you know, in American public university is that you focus on access so much that uh, people that could not get access may be in even more of a position to have their life transformed. Uh, Absolutely. You know, if you can make that make that far reach, so, to I the mean, point what...
0: you know, to the point that that we you know we have we have really two, we have two brands within APUS. So we have the brand American Military University,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: which is the leading brand in the United States for military and veterans, and we're very proud of that. Every, mm-hmm. One out of every five military students in the United States is studying with us. So, so we take that with a very strong sense of, yeah. of uh, responsibility, right? So that we have that brand, American Military University, that serves those who serve, you know, serve the military, the veterans, and, and, and other um, kind of military affiliations. Then we have another brand, American Public University, which is focused on offering high-quality education, innovative education, workforce-relevant education, but with an affordable price tag. Yeah. And that goes back to your point, right? That that a lot of our students, the big large majority of our students, they're working adults. They just can't afford to stop working and spend four years, you know, in a in a, in a college campus. Um, they have families. They have jobs. So we try to provide uh, uh, a great experience for a very affordable price, and I think we're succeeding. Hmm.
1: Well, it's cool, and it sounds like it's very aligned with your background and what you value in the world and from the vision you've cast for yourself. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get Vital Insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanningcom slash insight. What do you hope your legacy will be? When you leave your your uh, current role, hope which which I assume will be for a very long time,
0: uh, far in the future. But, but I what's think your hope? I think that that you know work is such an important part of our lives. You know sometimes we spend more time at work than with friends and family, so I think it's important that it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know I, I think a sense of fulfillment comes with working with great people, transforming organizations being relevant in the marketplace making sure that that we deliver quality programs and services and really just making fun you know so then when when we retire we look back and we can say man i was really proud about that you know just i'm I'm really proud about what i did i'm really proud about what i built i'm really proud about the people i've worked with and and i think that the job of leadership is really to encourage that, that 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 kind of of common vision where everyone is aligned and and everyone is trying to contribute to to building and achieving that vision so so for me it must be fun you know you must be having fun and you must be doing something that it's extremely relevant you know i think we can never be satisfied with the status quo I think we need to be driven by making a strong impact and to be a very relevant player in our industry. you know if we're going to play, let's play to win right mm. uh, so yeah, winning's fun so, so I think you know that that would be my answer towards that question. Another approach mm. that I would also say is that looking back and 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 see that the people that have worked with me that they were able to develop themselves to transform themselves as well and mm. to, and to be in a better position uh after that experience. You know, I think mm. I think the job of the the, the most important part of, of a leadership job is really to to develop great teams. You know, it's like it's like business is like sports, you know. Usually the the team with the best player is going to win, right? So so in business, I think it's the same. If you have the best players, you're going to win. And I think I think it was Jack Welsh. I think he said something like to the extent, but before you become a leader, success is about growing yourself. And oh, when yeah. you become a leader, success is about growing others. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true.
1: Yeah, I like what you said about legacy. You talked about, first you started talking about legacy of the business impact that you're hoping to make. And then you recognize uh, that also your legacy is left to the people that you touch and grow along the way. And I uh, often have this conversation when I'm talking to leaders, I'm like, yeah, you, there's the business legacy. You moved the needle from here to here numerically, or you grew it. What well, people are really going to remember are the people that worked for you. And if they're in a better position, did they yes. have fun? Did they grow? Did they build connections? So ultimately our legacy, while it's through the numbers, it's really like any lasting power or legacy has as a leader, it's through the people that we lead. Absolutely, you yeah. know. What's the What's the one trait you wish you could instill on in every employee, and why is it so important?
0: Uh, I think I'm going to go back to, I think I'm going to go back to, to what I've mentioned before to say, everyone needs to understand what they're great at. Mm. You know, and like and a
1: self-awareness love, piece of it.
0: Yeah. And I would love for every employee to feel that they, they are part of an organization that is really promoting not only finding what it is, but developing. Yeah. Like, so so I think, you know, but I think sometimes in our society, uh this sense of of being ambitious is wrongly perceived. But really, mm. in a successful career, you are your biggest competitor, not anybody else you are really competing against yourself most of the time. And mm. and I can sincerely tell you that um, in my career, I never had the feeling I was competing against someone else. Now, a lot of times mm. I felt I was competing against myself and that I had to be better. You know, if there was an opportunity and I didn't get it, you know, I've I've applauded the person who got it. And I thank this person for making me better, for showing me that I had to keep performing, that I had to keep developing. So it's really... It's really a race against yourself, and you will determine how you want to perform, how hard you want to train, how disciplined you want to be, uh, and how much you are willing to study the other races. Yeah. To try to be better than them, right? So, so uh, from a leadership perspective, um, I think as I told you, nothing excites me more than working with talented people, making sure they are integrated as a team, mm-hmm, watching mm-hmm. team flourish. And eventually becoming a winner. Um, it's 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 about developing high performers that enjoy working in a dream and in a team that that wants to thrive, that wants to win. I think it's it's all about that.
1: And when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career? And how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road?
0: I think I think a good career. Is never a straight line, right? So along the way, you'll always face problems. Um,
1: Especially when you're going through so many different countries.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And it is important. I I tell a lot can go wrong.
1: You're going out.
0: No, you do. But but even if you don't, I think I tell these two younger people um, that I've had the opportunity to to, to coach and mentor, I say it's important that you understand that you will not always do well. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to hit bumps sometimes mm-hmm. you don't like the people you are working with sometimes the market conditions are not good sometimes in an international environment there there are devaluations the and then your business is heavily affected sometimes you have disagreements with your superiors whatever it might be but 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 if i look back you know the advice i also give is to stay focused and most likely everything is going to be fine you know and and I think the hardest decision, Ben, I think, for any executive, or at least I I believe in that is the hardest thing to do is when you have to terminate an employee. You know, hmm. I've had I've had circumstances in the past when I had to perform heavy restructuring processes. And mm-hmm. it is always very hard. Uh but but I had my first boss, going back to your question about your first job, you know, my first boss once told me something that I never forget. And he said, and I'll, I'll just do a parenthesis and I'll tell you why he said this. So when I was 24 years old, I had, I had to fire the first person in my career. So I had to terminate an employee. And this person had been with the company for a long time. And I, I remember the night before I couldn't sleep. You know, I was, I was feeling terrible about the person. I was thinking about Mm. his family but you know but i did what i had to do it with, with with respect with, with, but but i did what i had to do i was 24 and i that emotionally that was very difficult um and i remember going to my boss and i said it's just man, how do you cope like how do you how do you manage this this this, this feelings, mm. right how do you and he said he said no no you know if you ever fire a person and you don't feel bad about it, you are a bad person. However, mm. if you don't fire the person because you feel bad about it, you are a bad manager. And mm. I think that's that's very true. So the hardest thing mm. in business for me is to, you know, when you have to let people go. Uh, but you I always go back to what's the right thing to do for the company, you know, and if you believe that what you are doing is for the best of 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 the company, then it becomes a bit more tolerable, right? And in all honesty, to be fair, um after every restructuring process I've been involved with, the company always came out stronger and better equipped, you know, to compete and to face the market. so so I think you know a good career will always have difficult moments, but I think they make you stronger. They make your team stronger. I think failure, adversity make you and our team stronger. If you are willing to learn from it, you know, difficult moments will shape your character, you know, just kind of like, uh, like pressure makes diamonds, you know, it's, Mm. it's, 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 it's it's something that it's, it's not good. It's not fun when it happens, but if you are willing to learn from it, you're going to be, you're going to come out better, better professional, a better person. And a lot of times I think that, that when you are in a challenge, in a challenging moment, things, they never really make sense when you're looking forward. You know, it's very hard to make sense of things when you're trying to imagine the future. But most of the times, things make sense when you look backwards. Mm. Right? After it happened...
1: It, yeah, the Steve Jobs quote comes to mind. I'm i connecting the dots, looking that back. To, yeah. yeah, I
0: think he said something there. But, but it's like it's real like that. I look back at the bumps I've had in my career, and now I say, well, they were all important to be, so that I am where I am today. Mm-hmm. Had they not happened probably I would not be here today. I would be you know, doing something else, but I would not be here. So, so things make sense when you look backwards. So don't try to overthink when you're in a bad moment. Just stay focused. I say stay focused on the client, whoever your client is, internal, external. Stay focused on the client. Stay focused on delivering value, and it will be fine. It will be fine.
1: Yeah, and what an interesting quote from your first boss about – you know how you, you know, feeling bad about having to go through the firing process with someone, but you got to do it sometimes. And that's part of the process. But also, you're a bad manager if you don't actually go through with it and do it because you, I guess sort of aligning yourself to the direction, the vision of the company. And it's just not realistic for everybody to be aligned to the vision, to commit to the vision and perform and that's just part of it and i think we as managers i, I know from my standpoint uh for years that, that was a really hard lesson for me to learn i'm always I was always trying to sort of save the situation and thinking, think believing hey this person is going to commit they're going to they're going to change and do what they need to do for the company and that's just not always the case and so being but able God, to have that hard. conversation i think is a is a real sort of coming of age for every manager, yeah, and every leader when, when you need to break company yeah. and change direction. I,
0: I tell you, uh, I've I've been exposed now to many restructuring processes, and mm-hmm. but it's never easy. It's never easy, but like I said, you know, if you if you know that it's done for the right thing for the right reasons, mm-hmm. it makes it tolerable. You know, yeah, the right reasons.
1: Well, Nuno, this has been a fun interview today. What's your parting thought for
0: the listeners? Um I think uh, I I would like to go back to your question about what what would I like, you know, people that work with me to uh, understand what would I like um for them to develop as a way of um, of working, and and I think it's very mm-hmm. important to um, to talk about quality. And and quality means delivering above and beyond expectations. And I think delivering on what's expected is not quality. It is table stakes, right? So being proud of of your work of our work, of my work, is very important. And I I really appreciate people that want to be the best at what they do, whatever that is. For example, I want to be the best at my job, not against anyone, but really for myself. And Mm -hmm. I most likely will never be the best, but in my mind, I want to. And I will always strive for that sense of high performance and overachievement because I guess it's just part of who I am. So I appreciate people that want to be better all the time. And this is not a naive idea, you know, just just striving for being the best at what you do is, in my opinion, the only way yeah. to find true fulfillment in your career.
1: So so what do you say to people out there who are like, look, you know, I agree with quality, but I'm not getting, maybe they, so I think about quality from two different, two, two different perspectives. One is, uh, what we think we should do. And one is what the customer yeah. wants or your boss. And I think it kind of goes both ways. Whereas if you're not sure about what your boss, or your customer's expectations are, a lot of times people go one of two directions. One is they just fail miserably because they just miss a target or they end up burned out because they go so far beyond they're working themselves to pieces, they're not giving themselves a break on vacation because it's all about yeah, yeah. exceeding, you know, exceeding the uh the quality standards. Yeah. Well, when but you ask the quality, them like, well, what quality,
0: are mass, you know The quality, if we talk about quality as as in delivering above expectations, right? That starts with everyone. You know, that starts with me. That's you know, it starts with with communicating mm-hmm. to the to the people at the what the expectations are. And just having people being proud about what they do, and how yeah. they do it. Nice,
1: Nuno. Thanks for coming on the show today. If
0: you're an executive at a crossroads
1: in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to BenFanning.com/quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative: The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to BenFanning.com slash to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to BenFanning.com.